Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Gilt. So when it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy. And even if you're already filed, being proactive about this year to lower your future liability is so important. Gelt actually provides a proactive approach to tax strategy, combining innovative technology and expert CPAs by creating personalized tax strategies for your unique financial needs of multiple revenue streams, M&As, restricted stocks, various investments and more. You can keep your hard-earned money. Our, their proprietary platform ultimately gives you the full transparency of your tax management and direct communication with your CPA to reach your financial goals and grow for your wealth faster. So again, you know, if you're interested on this, go to joingelt.com. Uh, and they are actually on the show notes that I'm going to be posting a very special offer for you all that you can actually enjoy. So again, you know, joingelt.com. Dot com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder, another founder from Spain. Hey, I'm a little bit biased there. I love my people from Spain. But again, today we're going to be talking about building, scaling, financing, and all of that good stuff. So I guess, you know, I don't want to make you all wait any longer. So let's welcome our guest today, Luis Cañadel. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alejandro. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So originally born in Barcelona, obviously a beautiful city. You know, you got there unbelievable food. But give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up there? It was overall great. I think Spain has among the best qualities of life in the world, uh, as you know, probably. Uh, I was fortunate also to grow in a loving family, a uh, middle class family. We had the second home. I went to a private school. So I can say that I, I had a good childhood. I had nothing to complain about. I never liked anything. And also, I think part of, of growing up in a place like Spain, a social democracy that has some... So you get spoiled in some ways. Like you don't second guess safety. You have access to limited healthcare, public infrastructure, etc. I think I think that on the other hand, it's not probably not the best place to cultivate an entrepreneurial mindset. So I had to teach myself that over the years. But overall, I, I, I was very happy. It's a great place to live in. And now that I live in, in Colombia, I want to come back at some point, maybe raise my kids there. Who knows? I, I don't know if it aligns with my entrepreneurial and, and professional endeavors, but, but I guess we'll see. Now, in your case, you went off to study finance. And, you know, that's obviously a, a segment that you touched in quite a bit. So what got you into finance to begin with? I, I had always wanted to do something around business. I don't know what drew me to that. But growing up, I, I always had a fascination for, for business. So I ended up joining one of the best business schools in Spain, in Barcelona, so close to where I grew up in, and, and, did, and, and did business. Initially, I wanted to, to have a career in investment banking and private equity. 
but after a couple of internships, I realized that I, I didn't really like the nature of the work. Despite liking finance, despite liking uh, numbers and being good at it, I didn't, I didn't really find that there was a big intellectual challenge in the first few years of, of an investment banking analyst. And also I didn't like parts, components of the culture that, that I identified in, in banking, a bit of a toe-stepping culture. So I, I switched and I ended up uh, focusing on consulting and becoming a consultant. And what, what do you mean with toe-stepping? So I, the, the people I surrounded myself with in, in the internships that, that, that I did Seemed like a bit of, of, of an aggressive, money-focused culture. There was, I don't know, there was something about it that I, I didn't feel myself identified uh, with. Um, that sec individual success is is the most important thing. Um, so that that's 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 what I felt back then. Probably biased, and I know I have many dear friends from that time. And today, in my company that come from investment banking and had a different experience, but it was what they felt at that time. So obviously, you know, one, one of the things that I see a lot is some of the most successful founders, they either come from investment banking or consulting. I mean, in your case, you have both, right? I think that at least on the investment banking side, you were able to see the patterns, you know, and being able to see what works, what doesn't, you know, maybe when it comes to business. But then most importantly in consulting, the opportunity of being able to break really big problems into small problems and then tackle them each, you know, in a way that is efficient and productive. I guess from your time in consulting, you know, which include included companies like McKinsey, which was the immediate step before you started Trenta, what the, what were some of the things that you learned there, you know, on tackling problems and also, you know, when strategizing around execution? It was a great learning experience, especially in McKinsey, where I spent two years and I was part of 11 projects, working for 11 different clients. One of the biggest learning opportunities was, was fast learning. Uh, when you are staffed in a new project at McKinsey, and it can be something extremely foreign for you as a, as a business analyst. It can be oil and gas, something that you have no work on before you are expected to get up to speed very very fast and i mean in two or three days you need to be able to have conversations with senior executives of the client and after 11 projects uh, you get good at it you get good at uh, identifying what are the drivers of the business and where to get the information to get up to speed fast i think that that's very important for a founder because as a founder you need to have very deep knowledge on a few things. For example, you need to have deep knowledge on your customers, on the problems that you're solving, on their needs. But then you need to also have good enough knowledge in a bunch of other things. For example, I just recently had a discussion with my head of engineering and DevOps lead on cloud infrastructure costs, which is not my area of focus. I'm not the technical founder. But this is 10% of our expense today. So I need to have a good enough knowledge on cloud uh, infrastructure in order to have a conversation. And like this, I have many other examples. So that's something that I learned at McKinsey. Also, as he said, structured 
thinking, breaking down problems, structured communication as well is something that is very valuable as a founder. The work ethic, uh, urgency of everything, execute even, even though you're not executing because you're giving recommendations, you need to execute in terms of doing analysis fast, come, doing problem solving, coming to conclusions, pre, uh, preparing, preparing materials with very fast iteration. And also, probably not something that McKinsey teaches you directly, but something that it gives you is a great network of very bright people. Uh, some of my best friends uh, that I have today, I met, I met at, at McKinsey, and, and, and that's something that you take for the rest of your life. And when you say structured communication, what do you mean? Well, McKinsey teaches you that uh, time, especially when speaking with senior management, time is a very valuable commodity, probably one of, one of the most valuable commodities. So you cannot, so con being concise and getting your points across in a short period of time is very critical. So for example, a framework that McKinsey teaches uh, consultants and, and that I've taken also uh, for my time at, at, at Trinta is top-down communication. So starting with the main message that you want to, to convey and then deep diving into the two or three pillars that support that message. And those, these frameworks that initially you need to uh, sort of learn, after a while it becomes like second nature for you and, and it makes uh, everything much more efficient in terms of communication. Now, in your case, when COVID hit, you know, it kind of like changed the course of action for everything. You know, it allowed you to reflect. It allowed you to really, you know, think through things and also what was going to be next for you. And that was ultimately, you know, the process that, you know, took you from, you know, being in corporate to then ideation and then launch of what ended up becoming Trinta. So what ended up being, you know, that process like? How did the idea come to mind and, and to that moment where you were like, okay, it's time to give my notice and, and, and make the jump? So when COVID began, when the lo lockdown began, it was a it was a pivotal moment for me. Uh, if you ask me, had you ever considered being being a, a, an entrepreneur when I was at the university? Uh, my answer is, I never even considered, to be honest, when I was at the university. And I think part of the culture that is beginning to change now in Spain is that. Uh, startups were places where you worked. Number one, probably if you didn't have other uh, choices, if you if you got rejected in banking, consulting, or corporate job, or if you wanted to have a relaxed lifestyle, wear hoodies, play table tennis. That's the image that I had of of startups back then. Uh, so I never even considered it. Uh, but then when I joined McKinsey and after having a few friends. Um, Doing startups, I had a close friends, close friend. We are actually roommates in in Madrid. That raised three million dollar seed round, and for me that was mind blowing. I had never met someone that had raised this kind of money from venture capital. All of the prior uh, uh, prior people that prior entrepreneurs that I had met in Spain, they sort of were scrambling for years without money uh, and without much direction. So for me, building a startup up until that point was not one in a hundred 
not not one in a hundred opportunity, but one in a million. It was like so difficult that I never really considered it. But when I had, when I saw these close friends, close friend raise this uh, seed round, I I began to consider uh, entrepreneurship as a career option. And when COVID began, I I, I felt very out of place at McKinsey because shortly after we had the first lockdowns, many of my colleagues became concerned about job security, about uh, will I keep my job, will I continue financing MBAs, will promotions be halted? And for me, this was extremely shocking. We were uh, the analyst class of probably one of the top prestigious companies in, in Spain and in the world. So I, I, felt, I felt very out of place because what was going through my mind was completely different. I was thinking, this is an opportunity that we have probably not seen in 100 years, the amount of disruption that uh, was already happening in front of our eyes uh, in every industry, everywhere in the world, that I was wrestling in my head uh, that if I don't do something now, maybe it would be a missed opportunity. And at that time also, I, I had already planned an MBA. I was, I was beginning the program uh, the following September, and we were in March 2020. Uh, and at that point, something changed in my mind that triggered uh, a, a set of thoughts that ended up uh, being a point of no return where I decided that I was going to become an entrepreneur. I, will, I gave my notice less than a month after the, the lockdown started. Everyone thought I was crazy in the environment where I was at that time. Uh, but it, it, it was the right choice now looking back. So you give the notice. Then what happened next? So I gave the notice in April 2020. I ended up working uh, at McKinsey for for three or four months and more, uh, and eventually moving to Colombia once the international travel restrictions um, uh, were lifted. Um, I I had done some projects in Latin America as a consultant, where I had identified a shocking truth that. There are a ton of micro-merchants in Latin America. There are around 50 million, and a very small percentage of them were digitized uh, back then in 2020, um, which was, was quite shocking for me because having done a project in, in, in telecoms, I knew for a fact that in Latin America, um, smartphone adoption was one of the highest in the world. If you tracked a usage of social media, YouTube, watch hours, WhatsApp messages, uh, LATAM leads the world in terms of hours spent, which I'm not sure if it's a good thing or not, but it was an indicative that, that at least as consumers, there was a, a lot of digitization in Latin America. But when it comes to use the smartphone for business purposes, which uh, a big percentage of the population in Latam has a, a micro business. The usage was was almost nothing. So that paradox was what um, was was what made me think 
that it was time to build something uh, to digitize micro businesses in Latam. And also more of a strategic decision or more of a uh, more more of a of something that I wanted to do. I, I, I saw building a startup back then in in Spain or in, in a Western market. I see it, I saw it either of I, if I wanted to do a startup in a Western market, I either had to do something very technical, AI, robotics, biotechnology, etc., which clearly I didn't have the knowledge to do, or something very niche, uh, verticalized SaaS for a very niche industry. Those are those were the opportunities that the best startups were were after. Whereas in Latam, you still had like very big opportunities that were targeting a big percentage of the population, such as the opportunity in micro-businesses of basic digitization that they focused on. So, so I came to that conclusion, and, and Trinta initially launched as a very simple bookkeeping and inventory management app that substituted a, a notebook that most of these businesses do to track transaction in a very simple way, which is really the only active management that they did on their business. Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by .tech Domain. So I mean, obviously, if you're a startup or an entrepreneur, you got to be super careful on how you go about your presence and how you get the catchy domain. And that's why I recommend .tech Domains as the go-to place to really get your own domain. A good example here is Aurora.tech, which is an innovative brand that has the .tech Domain associated to it. Aurora.tech actually works at the intersection of rigorous engineering to address one of the most challenging issues of our generation, which is transforming the way that people and goods move. It is set to launch Horizon, which is Aurora's first autonomous service that's designed to bring safety, value, and efficiency to carriers and fleet owners. I've actually arranged an amazing deal for all of you, and that is you can get your one-year domain for $10 or a five-year domain for $50. Just go to go.tech forward slash dealmakers. And that's again, go.tech forward slash dealmakers to get your own. So how do you guys make money today? Yes, for the people that are listening to really get the business model here. Okay, so in 2020, we launched this bookkeeping and inventory management app, which was completely free. It became extremely viral. We we got to around 5 million micro businesses in Latam out of 50 million in the region. And uh, we raised $60 million. And now we are monetizing via basically two revenue streams. Number one, we are building a B2B marketplace starting in Colombia, which is the headquarters of, of, the, of the company, despite being already in 18 countries with a free functionality. Basically, what we do is connect wholesalers into the platform so that micro-businesses can browse through their catalogs and place orders via Trenta, and then we take a commission from the wholesalers. This is number one, and then we also have um, premium functionalities for those users that want a bit more, that want electronic invoicing, that want access to uh, more sophisticated reports, we charge a small subscription per month. And how has it been? You were alluding to it. Uh, you guys have raised about $60 million for this. How has it been the experience of raising money there in Colombia for this business? I have to say that it was 
not difficult at all, but because it was during the period where fundraising was extremely easy everywhere, I guess. Uh, we were not monetizing. We didn't monetize a single dollar uh, when mon when raising the sixty million. Uh, we raised a seed round of fourteen million in March of twenty twenty one. We were growing at exponential rates of almost a hundred percent per month back then, um, and we closed the round in two or three days. And it was a similar story in in the Series A uh, that was really close on that same year, on 2021, although we announced in early 22, in a period where money was plentiful and where growth was the main thing, that was something that uh, we could demonstrate very well. So we, were, we had a ton of active users growing very fast per month, but not monetizing. So... I think my experience today would be very different. Uh, we have an incredible challenge of um, of reaching the expectations placed upon us, and now it is looking very well in terms of uh, early monetization traction. But we are still far away from the numbers that we need to get to justify a valuation that is similar to the one that we had in the Series A. And this is something that me, uh, founding team, the entire company is very conscious about. We have a long runway of over four years. We have made tough decisions to ensure that runway uh, because we know that the, that the fundraising environment today is, is extremely different, particularly in the time to where it was two years ago or even a year and a half ago. Um, and we don't know when it will come back. It may be better in a year or two, or it may be better in five or seven years. The point is that we don't know. It's, it's an external factor that we do not control. So, so we're doing whatever we can to, to act upon the things that we can control. But hey, four years of runway is, uh, is unbelievable. You know, typically, you know, people would... Um, rates for 18 to 24 months. So how are you guys so effective on timing things and and also, you know, giving yourself enough oxygen like you did now so that you would be able to figure things out on the on the monetization side? So uh, 12 months ago, more or less, we had 380 FTEs. Today we have around 130. So we downsized the company via two rounds of, of downsizing which was an incredibly tough, probably the toughest decision that I have, have had uh, to take in my life. And uh, going through that was, was painful, but at the same time, I knew that, that it was the right thing for the company. So with the support of, of our board and with the understanding of our leadership team, we, we made those, time with those hard decisions, and now we are focusing on building traction, not thinking that we will have to raise in the next 12 or 24 months if we don't have to. If things are great, if the market returns to um, having plenty of money, if we uh, grow more than expected, we may raise um, earlier. And in that scenario, we may have been too conservative, but since 
we don't know at this point. Uh, I think we made the right choice. Now, for the people that are listening to get an understanding and the scope and the size of Trenta, what can you share in terms of, I mean, you were alluding to it, like number of employees or anything else that you feel comfortable sharing, you know, of Trenta? So today we have around 5.5 million total registered users and around 20% of just over a million are mostly active users. And we are monetizing via either of the two revenue streams around 50,000 of them, uh, around 50,000 uh, in a monthly basis. And we are around 130 employees uh, today. Most of them are based in Colombia. We do have some people in other places, but everyone is based in Latin America. And, and in terms of revenue traction, I prefer not to share, but it's still relatively small versus what it would need to get in order to have a round that is in the similar, uh, that has similar characteristics to our Series A that was 49 million last year. Well, hey, uh, four years of runway, you know, is plentiful because four years in startups, you know, in dog years, you know, it will be like absolutely ridiculous. You now the amount of time and what things, you know, can do, you know, and what you guys are able to accomplish. So I'm sure that it's going to be unbelievable what you can accomplish in that time frame. Now, imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Trenta is fully realized. What does that world look like? It would be a world that, unlike today, it is a world where micro-businesses are not synonymous with struggle and oftentimes poverty in Latin America. Today, if you have a micro-business, more likely than not, it is because you don't have any other option. You are earning $200 to $250 on average, which in many places is below at a minimum wage, and you're putting on over 12 hours of work, six or seven days per week. So it's clearly, it's, it clearly overlaps having a micro business with being part of the least fortunate parts of society. And I would like to change that. I would like micro businesses to thrive. I would like micro businesses to become a career choice that are not as synonymous with struggles with struggle and poverty. So we're talking about the future here, but I want to talk about the past, but doing so with a lens of reflection. So let's say I put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time. I bring you back in time to perhaps 2020 when COVID was starting to hit and when you were now thinking, what's next for me? Imagine you're able to have a sit down with that younger Luis and you're able to give yourself one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? It would be enjoy every second. I believe there's, there's a lot of beauty in building something from scratch. Uh, there, there's, there's a quote from The Alchemist that I really like that it says, it is the possibility of having a dream come true that makes life interesting. And I, I think that's 100% reality. And I think I made the mistake for the first six to 12 months of, 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 of Trenta that I, I was always like waiting for the next milestone. I was waiting to be happy 
for raising the first round or I was waiting to uh, monetize or was waiting to get the first 1,000 users. And the reality is that, that you never get there. There's always something else. And it's not reaching to your goal that will make you happy. It's having that goal in the first place and, and going towards that direction. And now I, uh, I changed and I enjoy every day. I'm happy every day in spite of having days that I have to, that are worse than others. So I enjoy both the highs and the lows of entrepreneurship. And that's something that I would not only recommend to myself in 2020, but, but everyone. It's a, it's a very emotional experience to become a founder, to be a founder to the early, both the early days, but also the scaling phase of a, of a startup. And so, so you need to be able to, to enjoy every second. I love that. So, use uh, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? I believe in LinkedIn, Luis Gagnare. Uh, they, they, can, they can add me on LinkedIn. And, 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 yeah, they can reach out and we can connect if they have a startup and we can share learning or whatever. Amazing. Well, easy enough, Yus. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Thank you, Alejandro. The honor was mine. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts, or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.